welcome, welcome, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is episode five of the Rambling Brews podcast. I am your host, Tim, and we've got a whole hell of a lot to discuss here today. In the National Hockey League, we had some major shakeups in the Pittsburgh Penguins front office as general manager Jim Rutherford abruptly stepped down seven games into the season. We're going to analyze that entire situation, and we're going to celebrate the legacy of Jim Rutherford and all his accomplishments he had here in Pittsburgh. We're also going to take a look at some other storylines from around the National Hockey League. We're going to look at teams that are atop the standings just buzzing. We're going to look at teams that are puttering down near the bottom of the standings a little bit unexpectedly. We're going to look at some players that are just lighting up the score sheet each and every night. And I'm going to discuss the Penguins and whether I think they're a championship contender or not or whether I think their championship window is closing. Also, this upcoming Sunday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will take on the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl, so I want to discuss that. I got a little parlay pick for you. might make you some money, and I want to talk about the entertainment of the Super Bowl, mainly the Super Bowl halftime show and how ridiculous I think that whole process is, and backed by popular demand, I want to watch another movie that's critically acclaimed that I've never seen before, so I think you'll be surprised by what it is. But first, in honor of the WWE Royal Rumble that took place this past Sunday night and the greatest professional wrestler of all time in my eyes, the nature boy, Ric Flair, I've got a new beer here to try that I've never had before. It was delivered courtesy of my brother-in-law, Bobby. It's called the beer named Woo! So I'm looking at the can here. I've already poured it in a glass. It says it's a tropical and berry medley profile packed with oats and wheat for body and just a bit of milk sugar for balance. Interesting. It's 6.5% alcohol per pint, so I've got a pint here. And uh, this is awesome. It was brewed in uh, the city of Pittsburgh here by the Allegheny Brewing Company um, downtown, so that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm wondering how they got the uh, the rights to use the WWE logo on the side of the can and, and to uh, kind of play off uh, Ric Flair because Ric Flair is known to – uh, trademark some of those options when that happens, but uh, I guess trademark some of those things when that happens. Um, so I'm going to go ahead. Like I said, I already got to pour it in a glass. I'm going to take a sip here. Oh, yeah, it's just like every IPA ever. It's got a really good front taste. Like, you know, when you take the first sip and it first touches your lips, but then it's got that weird, like, bitter aftertaste that every IPA to me has that I really don't like. Uh, let me take another sip. Yeah, I've got to give that. I'm going to give that on the morale meter out of five stars, a 2.65. A pretty solid rating. I think some people that are avid uh, IPA drinkers would probably like this. And, and again, shout out to the local brewing company. Um, just not my cup of tea. I think they probably could have done a little bit better job in terms of, uh, you know, doing it justice for the 17-time world champion, Ric Flair. And speaking of champions, as I mentioned in the intro, Jim Rutherford. Steps down uh, from the Pittsburgh Penguins general manager role that uh, he started in 2014, citing personal reasons. Um, whenever you hear personal reasons, the first thing I thought was health. He's, a, he's an older gentleman, so I was really praying and hoping that he was okay. There was nothing uh, majorly wrong with him in terms of his health, but we've been reassured by Jim Rutherford himself, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and uh, other sources throughout hockey media that it has nothing to do with his health. Um, they've said it has nothing to do with any personnel decisions. I've seen a lot of speculation going on around the, uh, the, the Twitter sphere, I guess, um, that he was looking to potentially make a trade for one of the big three guys, uh, either Crosby, Malkin or Chris Letang. Uh, there's absolutely no chance Sidney Crosby would be on the trading block or would even be discussed to be traded. Um, and Evgeny Malkin, I think it would be tough. He has a, what's called a no movement clause. So basically, he can't be traded. He can't be sent down to the AHL. He can't. They can't do any anything with him from a roster perspective without his and his agent's approval. Um, full no move clause, so no teams at all he can go to, or he can't get moved at all. So uh, I think that would be difficult to move him. Chris Letang's a little bit different. Chris Letang has a modified no trade clause, uh, where I believe he submits a, a list to the team each year um, of eight teams he will not go to. Um, so. And I don't think they have to submit it each year. I think it's just like whenever the team starts talking to their agent about, hey, we're potentially going to trade you. Can you submit your list? Uh, They submit a list of eight teams that he wouldn't go to. It doesn't mean that um, he would never go there. It's just they would have to get his permission to even talk to that team, and and it might not be worth it if if he's going to you know, nix the trade. So they might not even have any negotiations with said team. Um, But Jim Rutherford himself has gone on local radio here in Pittsburgh and said it had nothing to do with personnel decision. 
Um, but it, I think the speculation is a little bit uh, justified just because it's very odd that you don't really see general managers really in any sport or anybody in, in that type of role that has influence over the day-to-day operations of the team that kind of just abruptly steps down seven games into the season. Usually it'll be like, you know, in the off season or, you know, if, if he's starting to think about retirement, he'll say, Hey, I'm going to stay on and help you guys kind of choose the successor and help you with that whole process. Or I'll move up into a president of hockey operations or some sort of upper level management role where he's oversees the new general manager or something like that. But to abruptly just step away and then come out and have interviews where, He's saying, you know, hey, I'm not sure I'm walking away from the game. Uh, it was just the right time to leave the Penguins. I have nothing but good things to say about the Penguins. The Penguins have nothing but good things to say about me. I'm grateful for my time here. Um, and then basically at the end of the interview, say, I'm going to take the rest of the year and kind of just see what's going on. And then I'll decide next year if I want to come back to the league in terms of a general manager role or in, like I said, in a hockey ops role, maybe he's a senior advisor or something like that. So it's interesting because he's not just retiring because he's like burnt out or he doesn't want to do it anymore. It's basically like, you know, it, it comes off as that he didn't see eye to eye with management or ownership and maybe felt like he wasn't able to do his job as good as what he thought he could do. Um, and then the mindsets just didn't agree between the ownership and management and um, an upper level management and the general manager. So you know, that might be the case. That's a speculation. It's been denied, but I mean, obviously they're not going to say anything. They want to leave on good terms. Um, but I, I did want to mention that Jim Rutherford, basically we've the Pittsburgh Penguins fans and I'm an avid Penguin fan. I've got nothing but love for Jim Rutherford. I wish him all the best in his next steps. Um, I can't thank him enough for what he did. He basically came into a team. So the Penguins went to the Stanley cup final in 2008 uh, they lost to the Detroit Red Wings. They went to the Stanley Cup Final in 2009. They beat the Detroit Red Wings um, in a rare rematch um, in back-to-back years. And then at that point, you're like, man, we went. You know, the Penguins went to two Stanley Cups in the last two years. They've got Crosby, Malkin, all these guys are young, Latang, Jordan Stahl, Marc-Andre Fleury, Max Talbot. They've got a great team, Tyler Kennedy. And basically the next couple of years, there were some injuries to some star players and some flame outs in the playoffs, some stubborn coaching, I think on Dan Bosma's part where he didn't want to steer away from, you know, what had worked in the past, but he, he just wasn't willing to adjust to the way the game was being played um, at that time. And Jim Rutherford ultimately came in in 2014. Um, his first move, I believe was, well, he fired Dan Bosma and then he traded James Neal for Patrick Hornquist to add an unbelievable piece they would play a pivotal role going forward for the uh, the Penguins, which he just added some grit, some toughness. He works his ass off. He can score a little bit. So that was a big piece. And then that first year, he kind of just sat to see what he had and figure out, you know, what, what steps do we need to take uh, going forward, maybe to kind of open and extend this championship window. And that's ultimately what he did in, in the 2015 offseason. He traded for Phil Kessel, one of the best premier goal scorers in the league at the time, still one of the better players. Um, Carl Hagelin that year, Nick Bonino, Trevor Daly, Justin Schultz, just to name a couple of them, made some great moves, and he basically turned the Penguins um, all their fortunes around. He turned them into a speed team, basically influenced the entire league and changed the league to what you see today. Every team is basically built on speed. Speed, speed, speed. You might not have the best finishers, the best goal scorers on your team, but they can disrupt the hell out of the defensive players when you're on the forecheck. Um, they're just hard to play against, and that's exactly what a guy like Carl Hagelin and you know a guy like Benino, and, and even on the back end with Trevor Daly and Justin Schultz, um, these guys were ultimately like written off by their previous teams, and they they come in and they thrive in Pittsburgh. Um, Jim Rutherford deserves all the credit for that, uh, for seeing having that vision. And I'm sure he's got plenty of good guys around him and influence from the coach and the ownership and stuff. But to be able to come in and, and be able to turn a team around that potentially, and I always say this, I, I always say that Jim Rutherford basically saved the Pittsburgh Penguins from becoming the Atlanta Braves of the NHL. And for people that don't know what I mean by that analogy is the Atlanta Braves were dominant in the 90s. They made five World Series appearances, I believe, um, they had the best pitching rotation maybe ever. Uh, any baseball historians or people that know baseball can let me know if that's accurate. But for my money, it is. They had uh, John Smoltz, Greg Maddox, Tom Glavin. Um, they had the lightning rod and controversial John Rocker as their closer. I mean, they had Chipper Jones. They had Andrew Jones, I believe, at the time. But just an absolute stud team. And, and Andrew Jones might have been later in the 90s, but... They, like I said, they went to five World Series. They only won one title, which is pretty crazy. And I think they won the division almost every year, but one, maybe 
maybe two they didn't win it um, in the 90s, So, which is difficult to do in baseball. Not every team, um, there's so many games and not every team makes the playoffs. It's a very limited number, at least it was then, in terms of teams that make the playoffs. So to have that kind of run and really only come away with one championship, that's what I thought the Penguins were headed for, and that would have really negatively impacted Sidney Crosby's legacy. I think, at you know, if they didn't win the next two, if they didn't win two more, I think he still would have been up there and one of the best players. But I think with the back-to-back Stanley Cups and the back-to-back Conn Smythe trophies, as the Conn Smythe goes to the MVP of the playoffs, with all of that, he Sidney Crosby solidified himself as a top five player of all time, and I don't think anything can change that um, in my mind, and I think a lot of people's minds. Um, he's definitely a top five player of all time. So we have Jim Rutherford to thank for that, his vision, um, the way he's able to make trades. Um, so I've I've got nothing but love for Jim Rutherford. And like I said, when they brought Phil Kessel in in those first couple of years, they changed the whole, uh, or in 2015, 2016, they changed the whole way they played and the whole way the league played. Basically, you had a line with Crosby on it. You had a line with Malkin on it. You had a line with Kessel on it, which made the Penguins impossible to check, impossible to play defense against. Because A, they were so fast, and B, they had superstars on each line. So you got to have your best defensive line and your best defensive pair of defensemen out there against Crosby or maybe out against Malkin, depending on the night. And then basically your third best checking line and your third best defensive pair is going to be out there against Benino, Hagelin, and Kessel. Um, or I should say Hagelin, Benino, and Kessel so we can go with the HBK line, shout to Shawn Michaels. But it was just incredible what they did. And... Uh, you know, we've, I've got nothing but love for Jim Rutherford. So, like I said, I wish him all the best. I know the last couple of years, maybe he's made a few bad deals. Some of the fans have been on him. I think Twitter and some of the new fans uh, that maybe haven't been around, you know, as long as people like me, I hate doing that. I hate like toting, hey, I've been a fan since, you know. Um, but some of the newer fans, that all they know is the Penguins being great. And I think the Penguins, the last couple of years, Jim Rutherford, all he's trying to do is extend the championship window. He's got Crosby this year at 33 years old. He's got Malkin at 34 years old, Latang at 33 years old. Um, he's tried to fill some young pieces in there. And over the years, in order to keep competing for Stanley Cups, you got to trade future picks and future prospects, and that's what they did. And at the time, they definitely 100% made sense, and I totally agree with them. But at some point, the bill's going to come, and that's exactly kind of what you want, if you ask me. Um if the Penguins don't win another Stanley Cup, the rest of Crosby and Malkin's uh, careers, it was still way above and beyond um, what anybody could have expected. I mean, three Stanley Cups in this era is incredible. Um, but, yeah, they, they got rid of a lot of picks. So when Crosby and Malkin ultimately retire, there's going to be some dark times for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And we'll get to this in a little bit. But, I mean, it's it's my philosophy, and it's a lot of people's philosophy, and I think it's the right philosophy. But when you have star players – you always should go for it. You never know when you're going to have a player like Crosby again. You never know when you're going to have a player like Malkin again. Always go for it. I would mortgage the future, no question, because you never want to be a fringe playoff team. You never want to be a team that is almost going to make the playoffs or just barely squeaked into the playoffs and gets dummied in the first round. Because, listen, if you finish middle, you draft middle, you stay middle. You either want to be really, really bad and look at the Penguins, and people can chirp the Penguins all they want for their um, tankings to be able to potentially, uh, they potentially tanked to get Crosby. A lot of people think the league gifted them Crosby to keep the team here. That's bullshit. The Penguins actively tanked in 1983 to be able to get uh, Mario Lemieux in the 1984 draft. But, I mean, I have no problem with that um, because you want to you want to be really bad if you have no prospects and no uh, you know, no players so that you can stockpile young prospects and stockpile draft picks and, and hope that eventually you get a Crosby or you get a Lemieux or you get a Malkin um, or even in, like with the Oilers, you get McDavid, something like that. So that's what's going to happen. That The bill's coming for the Penguins and it comes for every team. But I'm blessed to have been uh, alive and watching my favorite uh, sports franchise over the last 15 years, how dominant they've been. They made the playoffs every year since 2006, 2007. Um, so I've I've nothing but kind words and nothing but gratitude for Jim Rutherford. I wish him all the best, and I think anybody that's celebrating or anybody that's hating on him just really doesn't understand the impact he had on this organization. And maybe one day um, you'll see him up in the Ring of Honor at PPG Paints Arena. Um, I'd love to see that. But um, so with that being said, I want to pivot over to some of the uh, interesting stats and, and some of the teams that are playing well and some things going on on around the NHL an unbelievable stat the other night Saturday night on uh, I believe it was January tw- January 30th it was um, Sidney Crosby at 935 Eastern time scored an overtime winner 
to beat the New York Rangers. Um, then at 9.36, one minute later, Eastern time, Alex Ovechkin scored in his first game back, sniped it um, against the Boston Bruins in overtime. And then about, I think it was 9.47 p.m., um, so about 11 minutes later, Connor McDavid scored in overtime to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's pretty crazy because, like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, if anybody thinks that's significant or not, I just think it's a pretty cool stat that Crosby, Ovechkin, and McDavid all scored overtime goals to help their team win on the same night in a short time span. Because between Crosby, Ovechkin, McDavid, you know, Crosby and Ovechkin being the two best players in the NHL the last 15 years, and McDavid likely to take that torch and run with it for the next 15 years. It's pretty cool just those how those guys always seem to show up in the big moments. Um, those big superstar athletes, um, you know, if you could bottle up what those guys have and be able to sell it, like the, the gene they have in order to produce, in order to have that clutch gene, um, in order to do what they do, you'd be a millionaire. You'd have the answer. But um, and, and pivoting to that too, the Capitals, in, in terms of teams playing well, the Capitals are 6-0-3. I mentioned on the last podcast that they had uh, some prominent players, including Ovechkin, out for the uh, – PP whack they got. It wasn't really a suspension, but since they had to go into COVID protocol for violating it, um, they missed four games. The Capitals went 3-0-1 uh, with a shootout loss in that four-game span, so they sit atop the East standings at 6-0-3. Haven't lost a game in regulation yet. Another team playing great is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think this might be their best chance, as I mentioned on previous episodes, their best chance to get to the uh, to have a deep run in the playoffs. They're 7-2-1 right now. Um, the Vegas Golden Knights, 5-1-1. One, one. I don't think that's a surprise for anybody. They're a great team. Um, they're loaded from top to bottom. Um, and some bad teams, so, some unexpected bad teams, I should say. Um, the New York Rangers. So the New York Rangers are 2-4-2. Two, two. They've already lost three games to the Pittsburgh Penguins um, this season. They had some pretty high expectations. I think we'll talk about this in a little bit, but with um, their number one pick, Alexis Lafreniere, um, Artemi Panarin, some of the pieces they've added um, over the last couple of years and, and a lot of the players that they've drafted and, and um, developed coming in. They had some high expectations this year. They let Henrik Lundqvist go. Um, they've got Alexander Georgiev and Igor Shesterkin, the two goaltenders uh, vowing for the number one spot there. Um, but they're off to a little bit of a rocky start. Um, and then the New York Islanders, so staying in New York, New York Islanders are a really good team. Um, they made a, a nice run in the playoffs last year. They're three wins, four losses, and one uh, loss in overtime, which is crazy because they I think they've only scored 10 goals in their eight games. So like that's really not going to get it done. They don't give up any goals. They're very defensive-minded. They sit back. They just play uh, a trap-style game. They basically wait for the team to try to stick handle through and make a mistake, and then they capitalize going the other way. They're a lot like the uh, Montreal Canadiens under Jacques Martin, Um in the early part of the last decade. But Barry Trotz, their head coach, outstanding coach, um, he's that type of guy that he he's ha, really has his finger on the pulse of the team. He's really able to see, okay, what are our strengths? What are our weaknesses? Okay, we don't have the as, as much of the top-level talent maybe he had in Washington. So he incorporates a new system where they just play stellar defense, they have great goaltending. I think Simeon Varlamov, their starting goalie, has like a 99% save percentage this year, which is absurd. That won't last, but that'll get you a lot of wins, especially when your team's not scoring. Um, and then maybe not as unexpected – uh, the Edmonton Oilers are four and six in their ten games. Um, they really just have two guys. They've got McDavid. They've got Drysital. McDavid has 17 points um, in ten games already, off to an unbelievable start. Leon Drysital has 15 points. That's one two in scoring in the NHL, and their team's four and six. So that just tells you all you need to know. Um, I think the question needs to start being asked. I know Connor McDavid has a massive contract. Um, like 105 million over, I think he's got six years or five years left. Um, but the question needs to be asked, how long before McDavid wants out? How long before he says, hey, like I mentioned in the last episode, the age he's at now, Crosby has already won one Stanley Cup and been to two at that point in his career. And McDavid just sitting there like, man, I'm wasting these 100-point seasons. I'm dummying everybody. I mean, he's had highlight goals, after, or highlight real goal after highlight real goal after highlight real goal. He's really bigging up and picking up his teammates that just aren't aren't on his level and they have no other than dry sidle they really have no um depth on that team and you need depth if a team shuts mcdavid down what shut mcdavid down is like holding him to one point um but if you can shut him down just focus your game plan 
on shutting him and Dreisaitl down, which a lot of times they play together, you have a pretty good shot of beating them, especially in a seven-game playoff series. So I think um, he's definitely going to one out soon. If they don't win the next year or two, I could see him saying, hey, get me the fuck out of here. Um, as far as Edmonton. And I think, I know the NHL draft's not rigged. Uh, it depends on who you ask, because some people think it was rigged uh, when the Penguins got Sidney Crosby in order to keep the team in Pittsburgh due to some financial, um, you know, some, some financial trouble they had, but that's all bullshit to me. That's just people pissed off that they didn't get Crosby. But I think if it were ever to be rigged, it would have been 2015 when they should have done it for the league, because the Buffalo Sabres that year had the worst record in the NHL. They had the highest odds to get the draft lottery um, number one pick. And Edmonton was right in there, but Edmonton had already had two first-round picks in the previous four years, I believe. First overall picks, I should say, which is pretty crazy. But ultimately, um, it went to Edmonton. That's where McDavid went. But if it would have went to Buffalo, think about it. McDavid is from Toronto, not very far from Buffalo. Uh, in fact, a lot of Toronto Maple Leafs fans actually come down to watch the games in Buffalo when Toronto plays there because it's a lot cheaper to drive down there and watch the games than it is to get a ticket in Toronto. You would have had him in the Eastern time zone in that division where you're going to be playing against Boston or in, in a normal year you're playing everybody. So, But in the Eastern time zone, he's going to play Crosby. He's going to play Matthews. He's going to play Ovechkin. He's going to play against the Flyers, Boston, you know, that would have been awesome for the league because he's going to be on, if you put him on NBC Sports Network against Austin Matthews on a you know Tuesday or Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, you might get some casual fans that tune in. There's not too many casual fans in the NHL that are going to tune into a game to watch Vancouver play the Edmonton Oilers at 1040 on a Thursday night. That's just not going to happen. So I know they didn't, want, they didn't rig the draft um, order, but it would have been like, awesome if he would have been able to go to Buffalo. I know Buffalo got Jack Eichel. He's a great player. He's not McDavid. He's not the star power of McDavid. Um, I think that would have just been great for the league. And in all sports in general, the East time zone drives everything. Um, and I know some people might not want to hear that, but the Oilers already have an established fan base. They're a Canadian city. They have great hockey history. When they had Wayne Gretzky, they've had Mark Messier, they've been struggling the last 20 or 25 years, somewhere in there. Um, a couple decent runs in there, but they didn't need McDavid. And Buffalo didn't need him either because Buffalo has a great fan base. But as far as the NHL, growing the game, they don't always do a great job at that. But growing the game, you could have had McDavid in the Eastern time zone playing, um, you know, like I said, against Matthews, Crosby, Ovechkin, playing on primetime TV. It would have been so much better for the league. Um, let me take a sip of this beer. And on that note, too, I, I wanted to pivot over to the the Pittsburgh Penguins specifically. So their record, as I was mentioning some of the other teams' records in the league, um, the Penguins' record is 5-3-1. and one. So they've played nine games. They've got 11 points. It's crazy because all five of their wins, all five of them, they've been trailing in the third period. So it shows resiliency, but it also, if you've watched these games, you see that the Penguins really, they start slow all the time. They give up an early goal. They take a bad penalty. They give up two goals. They give up shorthanded goals left and right. They don't shoot the puck. They're not playing well. I think they appear to have a record that indicates they're worse than they are. So what I mean by that is, like I said, they have five comeback victories. They've got two of them in the shootout. Uh, two more, I think, in overtime. So any of those games could have gone the other way, and they could really be sitting in the bottom of the standings in the basement. Um, and they have a minus five goal differential, meaning they give up. They've given up as a team five more goals than they've scored. Usually, that's not a recipe for success. You rarely see teams that make the playoffs that have a negative goal differential. I know it's early. I know it's only been nine games, but the starts that they've had the last few games, basically all season, have been alarming. But it's nice to see their uh, resilience to be able to come back and, and win some of those games and at least get points. Um, but they really need to start better. Um, and you've got on the team, you've got Sidney Crosby leading the team in scoring with nine, uh, sorry, eight points in nine games. He's a minus three. Evgeny Malkin only has four points in nine games, really still struggling. Um, he's a minus three as well. And for those who don't know, to explain just briefly what minus three means, it's similar to the goal differential I just mentioned, but basically like if Sidney Crosby's a minus three, it means when he's on the ice, the other team has scored three more goals than his team has scored. 
And there's a little bit of different nuances because if you're on the power play and you score, you don't get a plus one because you already had the man advantage. But if you give up a shorthanded goal when you're on the power play, you get a minus one. So that's probably a little bit of where Crosby's because I know the, the Penguins have given up a few shorthanded goals this year. Um, so that that's they got to start producing more. Um, their depth players have been playing pretty well. They're just so beat up. The Penguins are so beat up on the back end on defense. Uh, speaking of that, Chris Letang, uh, their top defenseman just went down, I believe, with a lower body injury on Saturday night against the New York Rangers. Have not seen a prognosis or any update on that and the length of time he may be out. Um, so now they're down five of their regular defensemen. And one of the bright spots there, I guess, is an opportunity has opened up for uh, Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Pierre-Olivier Joseph is one of the uh, top defensive prospects, certainly the top defensive prospect the Penguins have, but one of the best uh, prospects in the league. The Penguins got him for the Phil Kessel trade, uh, I guess as part of the Phil Kessel trade um, last year when it, Alex Galchenyuk and Pierre-Olivier Joseph came to the Penguins. Um, absolute stud. He's a little bit, he, he needs to probably put on maybe 10 to 15 pounds. If he can do that, he's going to be incredible. He's already playing well defensively. Um, he played big time minutes on Saturday night against the New York Rangers after Chris Letang went down, as I mentioned. And what did he do? Three assists set up the game winner and it was pretty cool to see uh crosby right before the game winner him and pierre olivier joseph they were passing the puck back back and forth and you could really tell that crosby really trusts this guy so it's awesome to see i can't wait to see him develop they've got some really nice young players um with jake ensel and pierre olivier joseph so if they can get things together i think they can make a run but um i think poj is basically is certainly uh, made a case for him to stay in the lineup whenever Pedersen and dumoulin come back and if the penguins are potentially going to make any trades um, I know they've been linked to Vince Dunn, the, the young left-handed defenseman from the St. Louis Blues. Um, so if they make any trades, I don't see how you can take POJ out of the lineup. I don't think it's even feasible, to be honest, if you want to keep going. So, um, you know, it's great to see that. And we'll hope that the Penguins can keep rolling. And I saw an interesting article from Darren Drager about the Penguins. He's one of the best sports writers in Canada, uh, best hockey journalist. Um, he basically came out and said that there's going to be a – if the Penguin season doesn't go well, his sources tell him there's going to be a conversation this summer uh, between ownership, upper-level management, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang about what those players want to do in the future. Because I think, and I don't know how true this is, I know there's no way that Crosby is going to leave or wants to leave. I think the sources are basically telling him that maybe it's on the back of the Penguins' mind that what's happening in Chicago um, Chicago has Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook for their main core, their staples that won those Stanley Cups, those three Stanley Cups um, that they've won in the past few years. And they're all on massive contracts, but the team's just not very good because they're not able to put guys around them. You know, they're getting a little bit older, so they're not uh, they're not producing maybe as much as they did as they once did. Um, so I think that's always on the back of people's minds, and I think the Penguins organization maybe is just thinking about that, like. Maybe we want to go the rebuilding route. Like I mentioned when I was talking about Jim Rutherford's legacy, and this goes back to Ray Shiro, the previous GM. During the Crosby era, they've done a lot of just getting rid of draft picks. They've done a lot of getting rid of prospects to try to make their current team better. And I think maybe you're starting to see, and Darren Dreger's reporting that maybe the Penguins are going to start considering, hey, maybe we want to move on from Malkin or we want to move on from Chris Letang. Do I think it'll happen with Malkin and Crosby? Absolutely not. Do I think Chris Letang could potentially move? I do. I really do think he could potentially move. Um, do I think if they did it like next year, it'd be a good idea? I don't know. It depends on what they get for him. I'm not sure what you're going to get for a, you know, a 34 year old defenseman at the time that has a lot of uh, injury history and a little bit of inconsistent play at his best. He's incredible. He's one of the top five defensemen in the league, but at times he has some bonehead plays and he's getting older. He's always injured. So like, what, what are you really going to get for him? You Maybe you just keep him and you make a couple more runs and try to load up uh, with some young talent on entry-level contracts. But that's going to be a conversation that, that's had this summer, uh, according to Drager. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, you know, if the Penguins somehow go off and they, they win a Stanley Cup this year, then <laughs> that probably doesn't happen. Um, but I think it's just something to put on the radar for the players. Like, you know, maybe they're going to, approach Malkin or approach Latang and see approach Crosby what they think they should do going forward so that makes me a little nervous because it's really going to suck for you know my fandom whenever those guys leave uh, I've been watching them since 2005 2006 um, but hey 
it's a business. It's all about the logo. So if you think you can improve the team, maybe you got to move on from some of those guys. And some of those teams, I think that's maybe a Pittsburgh Pittsburgh thing, um, and not from an organization perspective, but I think from a fan perspective. You know, you look at the Steelers and stuff. Like they, they never, the fans never want to get rid of the guys that got you there. And that might be the same in every sport. But that you never want to get rid of the guys that got you there, the guys that got you the rings, the guys that played so well. You just feel like you don't. You never want to get rid of them. They're a part of the city. You're connected to them. But at the end of the day, sometimes you you got to move on. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, like I said, I, I I highly doubt Malkin or Crosby go anywhere. I could see Latang moving on. And, and pivoting over to uh, just just a couple players that are playing really well in the NHL. Um, Mitch Marner. I mentioned the Leafs are doing well. This is their best chance probably to make a deep run in the playoffs. Mitch Marner, uh, one of their top wingers. He's got five goals, nine assists, fourteen points in ten games. Um, absolute stud, having a nice year. McKinnon, not really a surprise. Nathan McKinnon for the Colorado Avalanche. He's got two goals, 10 assists, and 12 points in nine games. And a big surprise I saw on the statistics leaderboard is uh, Anze Kopitar. He is the captain for the LA Kings. The LA Kings, again, they're kind of like what I talked about before with the, where the Penguins are headed and where Chicago is now. The Kings had a lot of success. Now they got a lot of older guys on long contracts, and they're really struggling. They're really... Uh, trying to maybe move some pieces and get younger and stockpile draft picks and what teams got to do, right? But uh, they're actually surprising some teams this year. They're playing a little bit better, I think, than everybody thought, certainly better than I thought. And Anze Kopitar is leading the way. One goal, 11 assists, 12 points in eight games. And it's been a long time since he's been up at the top of the leaderboard and considered one of the better players in the league. I mean, he's a great defensive center, um, always one of the best defensive centermen, but you know, it's great to see him kind of finding his offensive game again. And we'll see what happens with the LA Kings. Anything could happen in this COVID season. So we'll see. Um, and, and lastly, Ovechkin, I mentioned earlier that he um, came back from his first game after having to sit out for four for the COVID protocol violation. What does he do? He snipes in overtime, as we talked about. And I saw the stat that he needs 187 goals to pass Wayne Gretzky in order to get 895 goals. I'm really hoping he does. Um, I could see. So my prediction is. It's, nothing's going to piss off Canadian media, Canadian hockey fans more than if a Russian player were to overtake the great one, Wayne Gretzky, in the goal-scoring race um, in all-time goals. I think he's got a legit chance to do it. Um, the only knock on him is that – or the only, I guess, knock on his uh, journey to do so is that with these past two years with COVID uh, shortening the seasons and then a couple lockouts, uh, I guess the lockout in 2012-2013 – He's missed about, I'd say, I think I think it was somewhere in like 120, 100 games, something like that. Um, so if you think about it, if, if he was able to play those 100 games, um, 100 some odd games, how much closer would he be to Gretzky? Then it would really be in sight. I think it's still in sight. Um, but I think what's going to happen, and my prediction is, I've seen this a couple times. They're already starting to plant the seed. But you see it a lot that the Canadian media will come out and, and Canadian journalists and people on Twitter will come out and say, Wayne Gretzky has 1,072 pro goals. So where they get that from is Wayne Gretzky played two years in the World Hockey Association, which was there at the time in the late 70s, there was a there was two leagues, two pro leagues, the WHA, which was the World Hockey Association, and the National Hockey League, the NHL. Ultimately, I believe the Edmonton Oilers, who Gretzky played for in the WHA, moved over to the NHL in 1979. Um and that's where his NHL career started. But since he was technically playing pro hockey, they're, they're going to move the goalpost and say, well, if you count Gretzky's WHA scoring and his playoff scoring and then uh, his NHL regular season scoring and his NHL playoff scoring, he's got 1,072 goals and nobody will ever touch that. It's unfortunate, but I could see the Canadian media doing that. It wouldn't surprise me at all. So, hey, more power to Ovechkin, and uh, I'm, I, I hope he breaks the record. I really do. And uh, two more notes I had on the NHL before we move on to talk about the NFL is the rookies in the NHL. You have Jack Hughes last year. He came from the United States national development program. So he's playing there. He's playing on the national team. They kind of go to high school together, the top prospects for the uh, United States in hockey. He probably could have did a year in college, um, but since he got drafted by the New Jersey Devils, but since the Devils aren't very good, they said, you know what, hey, let's bring him in here. We can develop him in our system. He can learn the NHL game. He can kind of learn as he goes, and he had a really tough year. He struggled. He had immense expectations, which I think were a little bit unfair, um, especially with the team he was on, but he got 21 points in 61 games. Um, This year, he came in 
and in the offseason, he put on about 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. He looks like a completely different player. He's already got three goals, five assists, and eight points in eight games. So he's at a point-per-game level right now, looking great. The reason I wanted to mention that was the Rangers selected first overall, Alexis Lafreniere, and he's been getting heat online from people, Rangers fans, and people around the league. Like, this kid stinks, all the hype, blah, 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 because he's only got one goal, no assist, and one point in eight games. But if you think about it, I think people are unfairly expecting these guys to come in and be Crosby and be Ovechkin and be McDavid. Those guys are rare. Crosby, 102 points his rookie year. I believe Ovechkin, 106 the same year. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how many uh, McDavid got in his rookie year. I know he got a shoulder injury and missed 40 or so games. But you see what he's done since. I think people put these un- unfair expectations that they think that these players are going to come in there and they're going to dominate right away. And I think you really need to pump the brakes, let this kid figure it out, um, He's only been in the NHL for eight games. He didn't get a training camp this year because of the COVID, like a, a full training camp. I mean, a couple couple uh, practices and a couple camp days here and there. But I think people just need to pump the brakes because I wouldn't surprise me at all if Jack Hughes, like I mentioned, and Alexis Lafreniere lighten the league up here in a couple of years. And it looks like Jack Hughes is on his way to do that. So I think if you're a Rangers fan, you got to sit there and you got to kind of just chill. You got a great young player who I think is going to be exceptional in the league. You got to pump the brakes, relax, let him find his way, let him get used to his teammates and just let it ride and stop putting unrealistic expectations because what the NHL needs is new stars. They need big stars. They need these kids to develop. They need these kids to kind of take the torch from Crosby and from Ovechkin and let McDavid and Matthews and Lafreniere and Hughes and Marner and all these guys kind of take the torch and take the NHL to the next level. And hopefully the NHL allows them to do that. And that brings me to my next point about the NHL. The last thing I'll say about hockey on this podcast, um, the NHL schedule. Has anybody like seen the NHL schedule? I know I've had some people that I, I'm close to that have reached out to me over the years asking similar questions. But so Friday night, January 29th, one game on in the NHL. Okay. Saturday, there is 12 games. There's one game on Friday. 12 games on Saturday, okay? Of those 12 games, I think like seven of them started at 7 o'clock. So there was one game on during the afternoon. Now, it's a Saturday afternoon. There's no college football. There's no pro football on. I'm not sure if there was NBA on, but it couldn't be much. But you have one game on, and it's New Jersey versus Buffalo. No one's watching that, and it's not even on national TV. You have to have NHL TV or live in one of those two markets. So I don't understand why the NHL does this because why not stagger the games a little bit and have you be able to watch some of those games? Like if, if I'm I was I'm a Penguins fan, so I watched the Penguins game Saturday night. I wasn't able to watch the Leafs Oilers really. I wasn't able to watch the Capitals Bruins and some of the other better games. You know, it would be nice. I think it's easier like they did in the bubble, right? They were able to stagger the game so they could have a game at like one o'clock, four o'clock, seven o'clock, ten o'clock, even during the week. So I don't see why they can't do that now. There's not fans in the stands for most of the games. I, I understand during a regular season, in normal circumstances, you're going to have fans there, so you want to have the games at the normal times so people aren't working and things like that. But the vast majority of people are, are working from home, and they can watch these games, or they can figure it out. They have flexible schedules. They can, um, If their team's playing at 2, they can get up a little bit earlier, work a little bit, or they can work later. I know that's how my work schedule is. I can kind of just coordinate as long as I get the work done, and a lot of people are probably like that because of the work-from-home schedule. So why not have the game start at 1, 4, 7, 10? And then maybe you have, like, if you have uh, Vancouver playing Edmonton, tying back into a point I previously made, you could have them play at 4 o'clock locally, and it'd be on at 7 Eastern, and you could put that on Prime TV, and and then people, casual fans, could be flipping through their channels. Oh, shit, this McDavid kid, I've heard this kid's pretty good. Let me watch him. And then he fucking lights up the score sheet, and then you may have created a new fan or something. But no, let's just have all the games on at the same time really chaps my ass if you can't tell. And that's one thing. It's a big knock on the NHL that they don't really know how to grow the game. They've done a lot of things positively uh, to help the the game over the last few um, decades, but this is something I really think they've dropped the ball on. They don't promote their stars. They promote the team first, which is fine. You you should always be about the team. But you see how the NBA, what I found, I found was so incredible. I don't remember the exact time period, but I was listening to a podcast where like back in the 80s, in early 90s, I guess this was definitely pre-Jordan era, uh, pre-Jordan's like dominant era, the NBA and the NHL were about the same in terms of popularity. And what did the NBA do? They marketed 
big time stars. They marketed players. They didn't let like the NHL just lets the um, lets lesser players beat up on Lemieux and beat up on Crosby's and beat up on McDavid's to the point where Lemieux retired because he's like, I don't want to play in this garage league anymore. They're just beating on me. They're hooking me. They're they're not as good as me. They're just tackling me out here. The NBA did the opposite. They protected their stars. They marketed their stars. They had the um, they had Michael Jordan going over to Europe and everything and growing the NBA. The NBA is massively bigger now than the NHL is. So the NHL, I think they have a they, they while they've done well. And you see some of these young kids like Austin Matthews and and Matthew Kachuk and those guys in the NHL are coming out and they're having their own personality and they're showing a little bit of swag, and they're kind of like starting their own brand a little bit, but still being about the team. I think they need a lot more of that, and the NHL could do a lot to help them by scheduling their premier players to play on primetime TV nationally, especially with the U.S. TV deal coming up soon. They need to negotiate that in and maybe get a little bit more coverage on ESPN if they possibly can, which is rumored to be the case that they're going to have some games on each week on a game of the week on ESPN. Um, So hopefully that comes through because I think they've got some young, bright stars that they can really build this game up. but the NHL for too long has dropped the ball in the United States. In Canada, it's already, I mean, in Canada, it's everybody loves hockey. But in the United States, a lot of times, people don't even realize the season's going on, and it's unfortunate. There's a lot of players that are, you know, some casual fans might really get into hockey, um, you know, watching it. So, uh, oh, man, that's a lot. i got to take another sip of this beer. Pivoting over to the NFL, before we get to the Super Bowl, there's two notes I wanted to, to point out. Deshaun Watson's holding out, the quarterback for the Houston Texans. He's an absolute beast. Um, certainly, I think if he had the same talent Patrick Mahomes has, uh, he could easily be one of the best, um, or he, he could easily be dominating just like Patrick Mahomes is. He's already one of the best quarterbacks in the league. It's interesting about um, Houston because uh, ex-player Andre Johnson, who's in, uh, I don't know if he's in the Hall of Fame, but he probably should be at some point when he's eligible. Um, if not, he's right there. He was an exceptional wide receiver. And then you have DeAndre Hopkins, who recently played there, is arguably the best receiver in the league, currently playing in Arizona um, after getting traded. They basically have come out and said, like, yeah, the Houston organization, you know, you got to get out of there. Nothing but negative things to say about the organization. And Deshaun Watson feels the same way. And he basically has come out and said, hey, I want to trade. I'm not playing for them. I'm not playing for the Texans. He's listed a couple teams that he's wanted to get traded to, and it's interesting because he's just signed a contract extension there last year. So I think he's signed up through 2023, um, which the, the Texans basically came out and said, hey, we have no interest in trading Deshaun. We want to kind of work on our relationship, but we're not going to be trading him. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because if the Texans want to, uh, Deshaun Watson has no power. So if the Texans want to, they can say, yeah, we're not trading you. Deshaun Watson can say, okay, well, I'm not playing. And they can say, well, fine, if you want to sit out for three years and not play during the prime of your career and not be paid, go for it. So it'll be an interesting thing. That might be a bad PR move. Um, But I think either way, like the fans of the Texans are going to say, well, screw Deshaun Watson. He doesn't want to be on our team. And some of them will say, well, screw the ownership. They don't they could trade him and get a ridiculous amount of picks back and stuff. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. it's not too often where you see a team that would just hold on to a player and let him sit the bench. You mean you saw the Steelers do that with Le'Veon Bell. It didn't really work out for him. I think things might work out differently for Deshaun Watson, but um, you know, we'll see. I, I can't wait to see how that plays out. And another quarterback note, uh, Matt Stafford, the previous quarterback of the Detroit Lions, has been traded to the Los Angeles Rams, I think, for two first-round picks in the Los Angeles Rams quarterback, Jared Goff. Um, incredible because Jared Goff just led the Rams to the Super Bowl a few years ago. And I know he's not the best. He's kind of more of a system quarterback. But I, it was crazy to me. I, I looked this trade up uh, whenever I was, like, prepping for the show, and I'm like, holy shit, Matt Stafford's only 32 years old? Like, I had no – I thought he was way older than that. I remember him lighting it up in Georgia back in the day. Maybe that just makes me feel old. Uh, but I think he's going to fit in nice there in Sean McVay's system. They've got some weapons. I think he's got a lot to give. He spent a lot of his career – oh, he spent all of his career in a shit organization in Detroit. Um, and it was funny that he came out, basically, or a report came out that said that they kind of reached an agreement. The Detroit Lions and Matt Stafford reached an agreement where they said, hey, you know, we're going to trade you. And Matt Stafford said, I understand. You know, it's kind of probably best t- – it's time for us to part ways. Um, I'll accept a trade to anybody except the New England Patriots. So, like, that makes me smile because at one point you'd have free agents and people just begging to go to New England. But I think now that Tom Brady's not there, nobody wants to go play up there for uh, Bill Belichick and his authoritarian style and 
you saw how well it worked out for them this year. So I just think it's so funny. I, I, maybe I'm a little bit petty, uh, a little bitter uh, for all the times the Patriots dummied the Steelers, but you know, I love to see it. So he's going to play, he's going to play in Los Angeles. We'll see how he does. And we'll see how Jared Goff and the Lions do. Um, you never know. It could work out for both teams. Over to the Super Bowl, too. Like I mentioned, the Chiefs are playing the Buccaneers uh, this Sunday coming up, and the Chiefs are favored by three. Um, no chance as far as gambling goes. I'm betting against Tom Brady. Absolutely no chance. Uh, it's plus 100 odds uh, for three points. And the over-under, which is interesting, is 56.5. Um, so I think it's hammer time on the over. Um, and also there's a parlay on FanDuel. I know maybe some of the listeners don't have access to FanDuel. I think it's available in PA, Maryland, West Virginia, uh, maybe New Jersey, a couple other states. But if you have FanDuel, and there's probably similar bets on other sites, um, definitely hammer the parlay. I'm taking it. It's the uh, Buccaneers plus 3.5 plus the over, and the odds are uh, plus 250. So I think that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good price there. And I think the Buccaneers are going to win the Super Bowl outright. I would never bet against Tom Brady, but I certainly think they'll cover a three and a half point spread. I think if anything, they lose by a field goal, but I think they're going to win it outright. So um, if you're with me, ride that uh, parlay again. It's the Buccaneers plus three and a half and the over, which the over is 56 and a half. Uh, I think that's going to be easy money right there. So uh, don't come crying to me if it doesn't hit, but I'm, I'm going to place that bet. Um, and with the Super Bowl, too, I wanted to touch on the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, this year, the artist, the R&B artist, The Weeknd, is the headliner. Um, and my wife watches all these like pop culture type shows like Daily Pop and E! News and Entertainment Tonight and all that stuff. Um, and I caught this you know, just listening to it, and it was absolutely astounding. This guy either has the worst representation of all time or he's a complete idiot or maybe both. But in my opinion... It's ridiculous. They said he spent $7 million of his own money to make sure that the performance at halftime of the Super Bowl was exactly what he envisioned. So, like, what does he think is going to happen? And I don't know the ins and outs of the story, but just from an outsider's perspective, like, what does he think he's going to be able to do because he put the money up? Like, the NFL is not going to have a say over it, or Pepsi, who's the sponsor of the halftime show, is not going to have a say over it. That he felt the need to put up his own money that Pepsi wasn't going to pay for for a 13-minute performance when like my question is to all the listeners, what's the last time or when's the last time the Super Bowl performance was so good that you remember it? And outside of last year, where it was Shakira and J Lo, because A, they're great, they have great music, and B, they're both rockets. But other than that, I pulled up I have the list right here, the Super Bowl halftime show for the last couple of years. So twenty seventeen it was Lady Gaga. Don't remember it. I'm not a Lady Gaga fan, but I don't remember it. To me it wasn't anything memorable. Most of them aren't. 2018, Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids, along with the University of Minnesota marching band. Sounds terrible. I love Justin Timberlake, but not doesn't it doesn't it's not memorable to me. I don't remember it at all. 2019, Maroon 5 with Big Boy and Travis Scott. I love Big Boy and I love Travis Scott, um, but again, not memorable. Is it memorable enough to spend seven million of your own, seven sheets of your own money? So that you can have a say over what you do. I can't wait to see this. This better be worth it or I'm going to laugh my ass off. Because like at the end of the day, it's not the venue for it, especially during COVID where there's no fans. But under normal circumstances, it's a stadium with corporate people, mostly. And there's football fans there sprinkled in throughout the corporate people. It's not really like a, a crowd for like a big time concert. It's not a great venue for a concert either. Like... It just seems there's always so much hype, and it always falls flat. And I never just say, like, wow, that was awesome. So that's my little take. That's just my my uh, my theory. I would, I would love to hear some people's feedback on some weekend fans out there um, or just Super Bowl halftime shows. I know there's probably some people. My wife loves the Super Bowl halftime show. There's some people out there um, that probably just watch the Super Bowl just for that. So I would love to hear from you. Um, I don't mean to knock any artists or anything. I mean, they're doing their thing, like, it said that Shakira and J-Lo last year had 102 million people tune in for the halftime show. So, okay, you're going to get a ridiculous amount of people. But is it worth putting up your own money? I'm not sure. So that's my take. And let me take a sip of beer for the weekend. $7 million he burned. And as we discussed in the intro, back by popular demand, I'm going to review a movie on the next episode. So I had a lot of positive feedback about my Lord of the Rings review. People thought it was funny. People thought it was interesting. 
I wasn't trying to be funny or trying to be interesting. I was giving an honest review, so I'm glad that I got some uh, positive feedback for it and people liked it. So I want to keep that going. And um, I've gotten a lot of requests for some Marvel movies. I've never seen any of the Marvel movies. I think that's what they're called or what the series is called. But um, So I'm going to watch Iron Man 1. I guess it's the first Iron Man movie. It came out in 2008. Uh, I've never seen it before. So that's going to be the next review. I'll do that on the next podcast. I was actually like blown away that it made $585.3 million at the box office. That's crazy. Um, so I just wanted to point that out. You know, I'm going to have a bunch of Coors Lights um, and I'm going to watch Iron Man 1 this week. And uh, I'll have my review, my thoughts, my notes, and uh, I'll be ready to go for, for next episode uh, and let you guys know what I think of the movie. I'm looking forward to it. I had a good buddy of mine um, tell me, if I liked Lord of the Rings at all, I'm I'm gonna love uh, the Marvel movie uh, Iron Man one. So, you know, I'm interested to see how it plays out. And again, maybe I'll watch a couple more of the movies because I know there's a bunch of them. So I'm looking forward to it. And with that being said, may your beer stay cold. Millions have an outstanding week. And remember, if I don't see yins around here, I'll see you around here. We built this city. We built this city on rock. your fight.